But uh, anyway, uh, some of you may have not been here last week, and so we kind of changed the order of our Wednesday night uh, service just a little bit. Uh, so what we do now is we uh, I welcome you, and then we'll sing uh, three or four songs from the hymn book, uh, just first verse and chorus, and we'll sing through them, then we'll go right into the Bible lesson. Then after the Bible lesson, we'll have a time of prayer request. And then those that want to and are able, uh, we gather here at the altar for a time of prayer. And so that's how we did it last week. It seemed to go very well. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing again this evening. Now last week I told you that I had picked the songs, but this week uh, if you was to bring a number with you that you wanted us to sing, you were welcome to do that. I do have four songs uh, picked out, so if nobody has a number, that is fine. But if somebody has something they'd like for us to sing, uh, you can share that with us. We'll start off, though, by singing Living by Faith, page 873. And then after that, that one, if you have a suggestion, you just uh, let us know. 873. I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confide. Bonnie? 395. 395. Now, Miss Debbie and I do uh, reserve the right to decline if we don't know it, but uh, I think we're okay. we good? All righty. <laughs> What's that? 396. 396. All right. Turn the page. 396. <clears throat> Three 
I'm not recognizing it right off. We'll have to practice this one and play it next week. Miss Connie, what was your number? 592? All righty, check out 592. Write down your favorite numbers and uh, bring them next week and we'll take your suggestions and sing some of these songs together. <clears throat> All righty. So now we're going to go ahead and get into our Bible study this evening. And so we've been looking at this thought of developing your personal Bible study, uh, learning how to dig in a little bit deeper, learning how to, to understand the truths of the Word of God. There's many things in the Bible uh, folks will sometimes ask you, can you show me a verse that says... And as a preacher, I'll think, no, but I can show you a lot of verses that tie together to say this. And so a lot of what we're looking at is how to tie verses together, how to understand Scripture in context, to understand how these things come together. And so we're going to continue looking at that thought uh, this evening. Now, the theme verse that we've been using all along uh, is 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 15. Uh, if you want to turn over there, uh, we will read that aloud together tonight. 2 Timothy 3.15. What's that? 2.15. See, I didn't have my glasses on. 2 Timothy 2.15. Thank you. 2.15. All righty. Let's read that aloud together. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation uh, where you were talking to someone about the Bible or about church or whatever, and inside you're just hoping they don't ask you something you don't know the answer to? Because, boy, if they ask you that, what are you going to be? You're going to be embarrassed, you're going to be ashamed, you're going to be stumbling. Timothy said, Paul tells Timothy, he says, study so that you won't be ashamed, so that you know how to answer. So tonight, we're going to be looking again at the importance of understanding the cultural context of Scripture. Looking again at that thought of understanding the cultural concept of Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the privilege, the opportunity we have to gather together here in your house. I thank you, Lord, uh, for each person that faithfully comes out, faithfully attends, uh, is faithfully a part of the service. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for their desire to learn, their desire to grow. Uh, Father, I pray 
that you will bless in the lesson this evening. I pray, dear Lord, that it will be clear, that it will be understandable, uh, Lord, that it will be helpful, uh, Lord, as we look into your word, that, Father, Lord, it will help us to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. And, Father, I thank you for it. Be with us now throughout this evening. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So last week we started looking at this thought of the importance of understanding the cultural context of Scripture uh, and we looked at quite a few things uh, of how culture affects uh, uh, Scripture. We looked at a lot of different applications and that type of thing. This week we're going to expand that thought by considering how we discern whether specific portions of Scripture were given temporarily or if they were given permanently. Uh, some portions of Scripture, uh, as we'll see, were written temporarily. They applied specifically to the time and the place that they were written in. Other portions of Scripture are permanent. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, hang on, Pastor John. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And I agree uh, completely with that. However, there are some things in Scripture um, where time and culture... They, they were time and culture specific. They, the, the command was specific to that time uh, and that culture, and although we can learn from the principle, we're no longer bound by the application. So to illustrate this, you see there on your worksheet, I have a list of eight items, and you see the things listed there. Uh, there's some scripture underneath of them. Uh, then over to the right is a T and a P. Uh, the T would uh, stand for temporary, the P would stand for permanent. So I want you to take just a moment and uh, look down through those. And um, if you want to take a moment and look the scripture up uh, uh, just to confirm your answer, but just take a couple of moments and we're going to look down through these and then I want you to circle if you think that this is a temporary command or if this is a permanent command. The first one on the list uh, is greet one another with a holy kiss. And as you can see, uh, that is found uh, in five different places there in the New Testament. Uh, and there's other references also that do refer to uh, greeting one another with a kiss, just not uh, directly. Uh, but each of these passages say to greet one another with a holy kiss. And so is this something that we should still be doing or is this something that was only cultural but there's a principle to be learned from it? Uh, the second one that we have here, is for men to allow their hair to grow out, allow their hair to get long. Now, if you look in Judges, uh, you find that Samson uh, had the Nazarite vow and he was told not to shave his head. And you know, it's interesting to me that Samson is the one that we always think about when we think about long hair. But if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 11, you'll find that Samuel also was under the Nazarite vow and he also was to never shave his head. So uh, uh, Samson and Samuel both under the Nazarite vow, never to shave their head. Was this something that was temporary or was this something that was permanent? The third one we have there, uh, is that we are to use prayer for petition to God and for giving praise to God. It's, uh, of course, there's many, many, many passages of Scripture concerning prayer. I have just a few references there. Uh, is prayer something that was temporary or is prayer something that is permanent? <clears throat> in Exodus chapter number 3 and in verse number 5, we read of Moses standing before the burning bush. And as Moses stood there before the burning bush, the Lord spoke to him out of the bush and he said, Moses... Take off your shoes. The ground where all thou standest is holy ground. And then in the book of Acts, the story of Moses is told and again talks about him having to remove his shoes 
during worship, should we be removing our shoes in worship? I sure hope not. But is this something that was temporary or permanent? Um, <clears throat> number five here, annually sacrificing a lamb. Annually sacrificing a lamb. And of course, the, the, the Old Testament is full of many different things about the, the sacrifices, uh, but I have one reference there for you. Uh, is this something that was temporary or is this something that was permanent? In Matthew 18, we read uh, that we are to forgive those that offend. Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Till seven times. And Jesus said, no, till 70 times seven. Was this something that only applied to Peter in that day, or is this something that applies to you and I? Uh, the last two here, so far, this has probably been pretty easy for you. You've not really stumbled. But now the last two are some things that actually we do still see prevalent in our day. Number seven, wash the feet of other saints. Now, this is mentioned uh, multiple places in the scripture. I have uh, a reference from the Old Testament there, two references uh, from the New Testament. Uh, uh, then I also have, uh, or from the Gospels, and then also a reference from 1 Timothy, all referring uh, to washing the feet of other saints. Is this something that we should still be doing? Many churches teach that this is an ordinance of the church, something that the church should be doing. Is this something that was temporary or is this something that we should be doing? And then the last one on the list here is found in 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, and it regards whether or not women are to wear a head covering uh, when they pray. Is, are women to have their head covered when they pray or when they worship? Or if you look at the different folks that follow this teaching, uh, some of them uh, wear a covering during prayer, some of them wear a covering uh, all day long, all the time. And so uh, is this something that was temporary or is this something that is permanent? And so we see down through here, we see that there's a list of things uh, that, that kind of indicate that there are scriptures that although there are principles that can be learned, the direct instruction may not exactly apply. And so whenever we look at that and we see that, um, we begin to wonder, well, how do I determine which passages are cultural and which passages apply to me today? How do I, how do I figure this out? Uh, there's... And those who say, well, you know, in Ephesians, the Bible talks about the relationship between a master and a slave. Well, we don't have masters and slaves in our day, so clearly that was cultural, so clearly that don't apply. Well, then folks will take that and they'll say, well, Ephesians also talks about wives being submissive to their husbands. If the master and slave doesn't apply, then does the submission apply? Because culture has changed. And so you see how really quickly we can ask a number of questions regarding how do I know if this was cultural or if this applies to me? And so that's what we're going to get into uh, this evening, and I hope that this is going to make you think a little bit. And uh, this is the, the, the heart behind these lessons is encouraging us to think, encouraging us to get into the Word and look and discover and understand. Many times... Uh, preaching, and I, I'm not faulting any pastor who does this. Uh, I do it oftentimes in many messages. Uh, but we try to uh, preach messages that are self-explanatory, all enclosed. I can give you the message, you receive the message, and you really don't need to search anything out. All the answers are there, and that's how most messages are given. But my desire behind these Wednesday night lessons is to make you think, 
to make you want to go home and dig it out and say, let me see, and get you into the Word. And so hopefully this lesson will make you think a little bit. So I have four principles of Bible interpretation uh, this evening that I want to share with you. And I got these, these four principles that I'm going to share with you come from this book, uh, Basic Bible Interpretation by Roy Zuck. Uh, he was a, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for many, many years. He wrote a lot of tremendous books, a great guy on understanding the Word of God. And so I just copied his four principles. So what these long principles you have there, that's not my intellect show, and I borrowed Brother Zuck's intellect for those. Uh, but that's where those come from. But there's four principles of Bible interpretation that we're going to look at that I believe help guide us in our Bible study to determine the application of each passage of Scripture. But before we look at those principles... I want to give you three guiding statements that I believe will help immensely as we consider these principles. And you'll notice on your worksheets, I didn't give you a lot of blanks tonight because there's a lot to, to digest. And so uh, we'll just kind of move slowly through this as we look at these guiding statements and then the Bible principles. Number one guiding statement that we should remember as we consider whether something is cultural or uh, if, it was, if it was applies today, the first thing we should consider is that all Scripture must be received as normative for every person in all societies of all time unless the Bible itself limits the audience. Now this right here is a very powerful statement that we need to take to heart. I'll read it again. All Scripture must be received as normative. Uh, and this again is a quote from Mr. Zuck. But normative uh, means that it is a standard. It is a, it is a policy. It is instated. All Scripture must be received as a standard for every person in all societies of all time unless... The Bible itself limits the audience. Underline those two words, Bible itself. There are a lot of people who want to take and determine what the Bible means or who the Bible applies to. One thing that is a guiding statement that we need to remember through this process is that everything the Bible says should be taken as a standard for everyone unless the Bible itself gives us a clause. This isn't giving me the right to make a clause. This is saying that sometimes the Bible makes a clause and we will look at some of that in this lesson or next week. Depends on how far I get tonight. These, these lessons always take longer than I expect them to. Uh, but uh, we will see that how this applies. Uh, the, next set, the next guiding principle that we see here is when the Bible clearly gives a command and nowhere else nullifies that command, it must be accepted as the revealed will of God and a mandate to mold our personal and group behavior. When the Bible clearly gives a command, and nowhere does the Bible nullify that command, then we understand that this command is the revealed will of God and it is a mandate concerning our personal and group behavior. The third guiding principle, the Bible is its own authority, including the authority to set limits on which practices are culture-bound and which ones are not. The Bible is its own authority, and the Bible has the right to state something, then later change that statement the Bible has the authority to do that. The Bible is its own authority, and we must accept the authority of the Word of God. I have heard people say, 
concerning the long hair that we looked at there in our questions. I've heard people say, how is it that God required the Nazarites not to cut their hair? And yet in Corinthians, he says that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Why does the Bible contradict itself? The Bible's not contradicting itself. The Nazarite vow was part of the Mosaic law. Calvary took care of that, and it's no longer a requirement. The Bible nullified the Nazarite vow. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. The Bible has the authority to do that. Many times if you think the Bible is contradicting itself, if you will look at it in context, you will find out that here was a statement, here's why it was made, here's when it was dealt with, and here is the new statement. It's, the Bible is clear. We have an old covenant, we have a new covenant, and many so-called contradictions are just people misunderstanding these things. So as we go through the Word of God, we need to keep these three guiding things in mind. Many people uh, begin to look at this type of thing that we're looking at tonight and they think that it's a license for them to change the Bible into whatever they want it to be. That's not the case at all. Unless the Bible clearly explains it, then we understand that this is a standard that I'm to live by. Period. Nowhere am I given the right to pick and choose I only can follow what the Bible tells me. So with that in mind, let's take a few moments and consider these four principles that can help guide us in our understanding and interpretation of the Scripture. Four principles of interpretation. The first one that we have here, excuse me, my lifesaver got stuck. There we go. All right. The first thing that we have here for these four principles of interpretation is that some situations commands, or principles are repeatable, continuous, or not revoked, and or pertain to moral and theological subjects, and or are repeated elsewhere in Scripture, and therefore are permanent and transferable to us. So that's a big statement, a lot to digest. That's why I gave it to you there on your paper so you can read over this multiple times. But as we read through the Word of God, we will come across situations, commands, principles that are repeatable. They are continuous throughout the Word of God. They are nowhere revoked. These situations, commands, or principles pertain to moral or theological subjects. And we find that these uh, principles, situations, and commands are repeated elsewhere in Scripture. So this is clear. When I find something like this that is in the Word of God, it's repeatable, it's continuous, it deals with moral or theological subjects, it's repeated through the Word of God, this is a standard I'm to live by, there's no question. This applies to me across the board. So whenever we're looking into Scripture, we need to ask, does this Scripture or does the Scripture, excuse me, does the Scripture treat the situation, command, or principle as if it is establishing a principle or a standard? Does the Scripture repeat the concept elsewhere? Is the concept of the passage ever restated in another passage? Is the content moral or theological in nature? Is there a specific reason given for the command? All these things help us clarify whether or not this applies directly to us. A couple of examples that are very familiar to us. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we are told to trust the Lord. Very clear. 
very clear command. The Bible says to trust the Lord. This is a clear command. It is repeated throughout the Word of God. We know that it is never revoked. It is something that the Bible drives home over and over and over and over again. So I know that this is a command that I am to live by. I am to trust the Lord. Period. This is not something I can find my way around. I'm to trust the Lord. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 19 instructs believers to put on the armor of God. It tells us about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. And of course, the use of the word armor is, is uh, symbolic, but it's talking about things that we can do as Christians that protect us spiritually, that protects us morally. And through this theme is found throughout the Word of God. It's nowhere revoked that these are things that we should do. So we know this is a command that applies to us. Uh, there's many, many more examples we could look at that are culturally applicable both then and now and have never been altered or changed or reapplied in any way whatsoever. The second guiding principle is this, that some situations, commands, or principles pertain to an individual's specific non-repeatable circumstance and or non-moral or non-theological subjects and or have been revoked and are therefore not transferable. So the first one refers to things that are clearly applicable. The second one applies to things that are clearly not applicable. These are things uh, that clearly uh, refers to a specific situation. Uh, they clearly have nothing to do with morals or theology uh, or the scripture has clearly changed them. Some clear examples of this. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11 to 13, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, when you come see me, bring my cloak and bring the parchments. Now this is clearly an individual circumstance. Y'all don't have to always bring me my coat and my, and my Bible. This, this was an individual circumstance. Paul was writing to Timothy, say, when you come to see me, I'm in prison, can you bring my cloak? I'm cold in this jail, I need a coat. And can you bring me the parchments with my copies of the law of God? Can you bring that to me? I would love to have that. It's very clear that this is refers to an individual. Uh, there's no moral or theological application here. However, however, this is not a useless piece of Scripture. Because in it we see a principle of Timothy's willingness to serve his mentor. Timothy was willing. Whatever you need, Paul, I'm going to get it for you. I'm going to bring it. Timothy had a willingness to be a servant to his mentor. Also, we see a picture of Paul's desire for the Word of God. He said, I'm here. I'm suffering. The one thing that I need is my Bible. He gave him, he said, two things I need. I need my coat and I need my Bible. Well, I can make it in jail if you bring this to me. It gives us a great example of Paul's love for the Word of God. Another example of this uh, principle would be God's command for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. We remember this in Genesis chapter number 22 that uh, God told Abraham, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, take him up on the mount, sacrifice him uh, to me. Now we read that and we're like, oh my, should we all be sacrificing our sons? No, the context makes it very clear. This command only applied to Abraham. And we look through other scriptures and we find that God is uh, definitely not in favor of taking the life of another person. So this was a one-time thing that applied only to Abraham. 
But again, this is not a useless piece of Scripture because in the story of Abraham we find a tremendous picture, a beautiful picture of Calvary. Also, we find a wonderful testament of faith and how we ought to believe God and follow God. So, although the command is not direct, there's a principle that can be learned. The third guiding principle, the third guiding principle that we look at here is that some situations or commands pertain to cultural settings that are only partially similar to ours and in which only the principles are transferable. So there are some situations or commands that we'll read about uh, that there is a similar cultural setting. What they did is similar to what we're doing and therefore uh, we can see how that it would transfer but not exactly. It would transfer to us but not exactly. Uh, some Examples of this, or an example we can give of this, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, uh, the Bible is talking about the importance of teaching the Scripture to children, teaching your children the Scripture and the Word of God, how important this is that we do this. And it says that we're to write the law of God on the doorpost and on the gates. In order to teach our children the Scripture, we're to write the Word of God on our doorpost, on the door frames, and we're to write it on the gates. Now this command has some cultural similarities in that writing on doorposts and gates was a ordinary mean of decorating your house in that day. They would write things on their doorposts. They would write things on their gates. They would uh, have, uh, you know, uh, different things about their family, their home, the same type of thing that we do now in framed pictures that we put on the wall. So nowadays we don't necessarily write things on our door frames. We don't necessarily uh, even have gates. And if we have a gate, we don't necessarily write anything on our gate unless we have a, a ranch with a big entrance and then we put the name of our ranch up there. But it's not something that we customarily do, but something that we do customarily do is we hang our decor on the walls. We display it on a bookshelf. And so the principle is very easy to transfer that we should be putting the Word of God in front of our children. And I believe every Christian ought to have Scripture hanging on the wall of their house. Every Christian uh, ought to have uh, Bible verses easily displayed on their refrigerator, on their walls, in front of their children. It ought to be everywhere so that we are constantly putting the Word of God in our hearts. So although we no longer have to follow this exactly and that I don't have to get my knife out and carve a Bible verse over top of my door, I can transfer the principle in that I ought to be displaying the Word of God. I ought to be teaching my children the Word of God. The fourth guiding principle that we have here is some situations or commands pertain to cultural settings with no similarities, but in which the principles are transferable. So we see here that there is a situation or command that just doesn't work in our culture at all whatsoever. No way we can do this, but there is a principle that we should live by found in it. In Matthew 26, verse 7 and 8, uh, we read of a woman who poured precious ointment from an alabaster box on the head of the Lord Jesus. And she took that alabaster box and she poured that ointment on his head. Another uh, parable, the parable we looked at like this past Sunday, she poured the ointment on his feet. And so uh, we see that this lady pours the ointment in our day, in our setting, in our time frame, it's impossible for me to pour ointment on the body of Jesus. There's no way I can do that. No way whatsoever. Now we see that this lady did it. She did it as a type of worship. She did it as showing her love and adoration for Christ. But I can't do it. There's no way that I could ever do that. 
However, there is a principle of sacrificially expressing my love for Christ that is taught in that story that applies to me without question. All Christians should express a sacrificial love for Christ and what he did for us. Whenever we look at this third and fourth principle, we need to be aware that there are some behaviors that may uh, appear similar across cultures but have entirely different meanings. So it appears similar, but it has entirely different meanings. When Brother Robbie was sharing his testimony about his missions trip, he was talking about a few blunders he made uh, over there because uh, something that was what he thought was one thing was taken as something completely different. You can ask him about his ice cream cone later. Uh, But boy, I'm telling you what, there's there's some things that in our culture mean one thing and in another culture means something else. And although it appears similar, it appears to be the same thing, It can be mistook. And so we run into this in the Word of God as well. Uh, Wherever, where we see things that what is done there may appear like it would work in our culture, uh, but whenever we understand the meaning behind it, we realize, wow, no, that's, that's completely different than how it is taken here. And so whenever we determine correct cultural application, we must also determine whether the exact example is transcultural or should we only apply the principle because of the difference in cultures? So I have three steps for determining cultural versus transcultural. Cultural versus transcultural. First of all, does the behavior in biblical culture mean something different in our culture? So whenever we look at the behavior that we see in the Bible, does it mean the same thing here that it apparently meant there. Uh, So uh, some examples of this uh, would be uh, some things we've already talked about. Um, Greeting with a holy kiss very clearly means something different in that culture than it would mean here. It could be mistaken very much so here, whereas in Oriental countries, some even still practice that type of greeting, and it means something completely different there. Uh, so to, to, to greet one another with a kiss uh, could be mistaken in our culture, whereas it was very fitting in that culture. Uh, women covering their heads in worship uh, meant something different in that culture than it would mean in our culture. Um, uh, foot washing uh, meant something different in the text than it means in our culture. And we'll look at all of these uh, in more depth uh, in a moment or next week, depending on uh, what we have time for. So uh, does the behavior in biblical culture mean something different in our culture? So when we look at the behavior and what they did, what does it mean there? What does it mean here? If yes, if yes, it does mean something different, then we need to ask the question, what principle is expressed in that practice? If yes, that behavior does mean something different, then what principle is being expressed in that practice? Um, if, If the behavior does mean something different, then we need to realize that it's not a wasted portion of Scripture like I've already said. The Scripture is teaching us a principle that we can learn and apply, although we may not do the exact thing that is being seen there. Uh, We're to find and apply the principle being taught, uh, not necessarily mimic exactly the behavior. And boy, you'll look at some uh, different cults, and you'll find in cults they're mimicking behaviors 
that doesn't mean at all what it meant in the Word of God. And so we see, does the behavior mean something different? If yes, what principle is being expressed? And then thirdly, how can the principle be expressed in a cultural equivalent? Okay, so I see that I, this behavior means something different in my culture. I see the principle that God is teaching me, though, with this. So how can I do what God is telling me to do in, in a way that works in my culture? A, a great example of that is the holy kiss. We can just use that one. We often laugh about that. Uh, in that culture, that's how you greeted one another. You just give each other a kiss on the cheek as you passed each other. It was a means of greeting. That doesn't work in our culture, but God is teaching that I should show love and affection uh, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. My brothers and sisters in Christ need to know that I love them, not just because I say so, but they need to see it. They need to experience. They need to understand. They care for me. They love me. So what is a cultural equivalent? Now, of course, we readily say the handshake. I've shook hands with people I didn't like before, and I'm sure you have too. Uh, so, you know, readily we say, well, the handshake's the same as the holy kiss. I don't believe that works. I believe it can be part of it. But I believe that there is, uh, you know, many times we'll shake somebody's hand and in a company to that we'll give them a hug, you know, shake their hand and hug them or maybe we'll pat them on the back as they walk by and say, hey, brother, thinking about you, love you, brother, a little pat on the back or uh, something that expresses affection. Hey, brother, I care for you. I love you. And a physical means of expressing affection uh, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We find a cultural equivalent. Now, I did know an evangelist at one time. He was a, he was a great guy. He preached a, at a youth conference I went to for years. He preached there every year. And if he seen a bald-headed guy in the crowd, he'd kiss him right on top of the head somewhere through the message. He'd just catch him not looking and bam, he'd kiss him right on top of the head. And he would always... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> he would always... Uh, He'd always quote that phrase, greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, I was at a camp meeting. He was there preaching. Great old big burly guy sitting right up here on the front. Had a bald head. He's preaching away, and everybody that knows him is like, oh, brother, here it comes. He's going to get him. He's going to get him. And sure enough, he comes down off the platform, and he kisses that big old guy right on top of the head, and that big old guy come up out of that pew. He was ready to knock him across the room. And I believe it kind of curbed his habit of kissing fellas on top of the head uh, because it can be mistaken. It can be misunderstood. And so uh, we see here, though, that there are ways that we can express to our brothers and sisters in Christ, hey, I love you, brother, thinking about you, brother, without even saying words. They can know, hey, they care for me. They love me. They're thinking about me. And so we can accomplish the same thing. So uh, in conclusion, all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is profitable. We have the verse there. If you pop that verse up for me there, Hot Rod, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, there we go. We can just quote it. <laughs> All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so we see that all Scripture is profitable. There are those, there are those who try to say, well, this part of the Bible 
doesn't apply. There are those who will say, uh, there's no reason to even carry the Old Testament around. It, it doesn't apply to us anymore. And, and the ritualistic laws and procedures, no, we don't have to follow them. But the Old Testament is very, very profitable. All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture has benefit. All Scripture can be used to, uh, to help us grow. Um, what we have to learn to do is properly interpret the Scripture so that we know how to apply the Scripture so that we understand it and we aren't confused. Now, we're right here about time in order to take prayer requests and have our prayer, so we'll stop there. But next week, we're going to revisit our list of questions. We're going to revisit the list of questions, and we're going to give explanations as to how each one should be answered in light of the cultural context. So we'll go down through each one of those questions. We'll look at how they are in the Word of God, how they apply to our culture, uh, and then we'll explain how and why we do what we do regarding the Word of God. So that's what we'll look at next week.